Okay, so last week, most of you would know, we've heard my, my husband mention it before, but the 2021 census was released. And here's what a lot of the news highlighted. So Christianity is in decline. 39% of respondents identified as Christian compared to more than half in 2016 and 61% in 2011. In contrast, what did increase was other religions and non-religion with almost 40% of the population responding no religion. As our population exceeds 25 million, more than 2 million people recorded having long-term mental health conditions, more than 8 million live with long-term health conditions, and 1.5 have at least two. For the first time, more than 1 million families are made up of single parents, and 75% of them are women. Since the 2017 referendum on marriage, a total of 25,000 same-sex couples have tied the knot. Overall, 46.5% of Australians over the age of 15 were in a registered marriage, while more than 1.8 million people are divorced and 600,000 are separated. These numbers are telling us the story of our nation. Australia is increasingly turning its back on God. Our nation needs healing. I think um, when we go through those statistics, I think we can all say that we all need healing and I need healing. Um, for some of you that don't know me or don't know what has happened over the past couple of months, um, in December last year, I ruptured my ACL during a netball game. I got a little overly competitive. And so in the process, I hurt myself. Um, so if you don't, for those that don't know what the ACL is, the anterior cruciate ligament is, it's responsible for keeping the knee stable. So it's like um, a strong rope that supports the thigh bones and the shin bones together. And I ruptured that. Um, so as you can imagine, it was a very painful, but I was also devastated with the news um, from my GP when he said that I needed surgery. Um, so it's been a couple of months since I've had the knee reconstruction, but I'm still in the process of healing. And that's what I wanna talk to us today. Um, I went through all those statistics um, and I think we all just need that. I feel like, you know, if we're saying two million people have long-term health, I can just imagine there's, they say that one in five Australians go through periods of mental health. So there's at least one in five of us here in this room that is going through something or perhaps you're going through dis some discouragement. Um, so if you've gone through some, so you may have gone through something similar, um, just ask Irene. She ruptured her ACL five minutes after me in the same netball game. Um, but yeah, perhaps your injury isn't physical. So you might be going through some emotional, some mental or spiritual trauma and you're still in the process of healing. Um, I get it. Pastor Shemesh gets it. He talked about it last night. He talked about being dunged. Um, if you weren't here last night, that was a really great message. And I think it really ties in well with what I want to speak about today. Um, but yeah, we've, we've all had dung in our lives and we've all just been through it. Um, so as a, I can relate to that. I think that we all have been dunged and we've gone through some wounding, perhaps we've gone through some trauma. Um, what's worse is also when you see your husband 
or those that you love, like your children, go through that as well, that can also really impact us. I know that when I did my um, counseling course last year, they called that vicarious trauma. So even though you haven't gone through it, perhaps you see it enough times that that could also really impact on you and you could also um, have some level of trauma yourself because of the family member that's gone through that. Um, so how do you recover after that um, is probably a question that a lot of you are asking and how do we go through that, that process of healing. So those are some of the things that I want to cover today but before we do that I wanted us to have a look at two examples from the Bible. Um, so the first one is if we can please have a look at um, our main passage and where I wanted to start with is and this is the conference passage actually. So it's Hosea chapter 6 verse 1. So it reads, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he'll bind us up. So he is the prophet Hosea. He's pleading with Israel to turn away from their sins and come back to the Lord. Israel had turned away from the Lord and worshipped other gods. Their society was in moral and social decline. Corruption and theft were rife, sexual immorality, child sacrifice, greed, and broken homes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't sound like this was a couple of hundred years ago, it sounds like today. But um, likewise, um, we, talk, we mentioned broken homes. Hosea had a broken home. Um, in the beginning of the book of Hosea, we learned that God commanded, um, God told him to marry a wife who was unfaithful to him. She loved other men and deliberately left Hosea for the pleasures and wealth that she thought they could give her. His very trouble gave him a chance to speak God's message that Israel has treated her Lord in the same way. Can we say we've been truly faithful to God or are we guilty, are we guilty of idolatry in our lives? Are we in need of healing because of our sin? Is God trying to get our attention to turn back to him? Um, secondly, can we please have a look at um, 1 Kings chapter 17? This is where I want to spend most of our time on, but you can bookmark Hosea because I know that's difficult to get to. Bookmark Hosea because we will come back to that. But the next passage is in 1 Kings 17. Okay, so here we're introduced to another prophet who ministered around 100 years before Hosea did. Um, similarly, Elijah was a prophet whose ministry was directed to the nation of Israel. And his ministry to the nation of Israel was he was trying to get their attention about their idolatry and the need of returning to God. So Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time, he married Jezebel, who was a Baal worshipper. Um, Ahab made a grove and we're told in chapter 16 verse 33 that he did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. Elijah declared there will be no rain and then goes into hiding for a bit because Jezebel was out for blood. In chapter 18 verse 4 
it says that Jezebel cut the prophets of the Lord. So she was after the men of God. In chapter 18, Elijah comes out of hiding and challenges Ahab to prove to Israel who the real God is. And basically what happened in this challenge was he wanted, he, he said to Ahab, get the priests of Baal and get them to build an altar and we'll sacrifice to our God. And whichever God um, answers with fire and burns the sacrifice is the real God. So up first was Baal's priests. And for a couple of hours, they were crying out to him. They were even cutting themselves, the Bible says, as it was their manner, um, to get his attention. So hours and hours, they were crying on their God to respond and rain down some fire to respond to their sacrifice. And we know what the answer was, and Baal didn't answer. Um, and so Elijah was next. And he even added four barrels of water onto the altar just to prove how powerful our God was and built a trench. And so he poured the water and then the water poured down even into the trench. And when Elijah prayed to God, he responded. And he it says that God consumed the sacrifice and then he even consumed the water. So it was completely dry. And after that... As a result, um, Elijah took the prophets of Baal and he slew them. And God then allowed it to rain and there was a great rain. Um, I want us to pay close attention to chapter 19 because that gives us some context. But most of what I want to talk about um, in regards to healing is in chapter 19. So that's what happened and... After Ahab told Jezebel what happened at Mount Carmel, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to tell him he was dead meat. From verse 2 to 18, it reads, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she says, you're going to die. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, there, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink. And went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thine prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, 
and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath, of Abel-Mahoah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it, came, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So what do we learn? What can we learn from these passages? Um, the first thing is, Elijah was afraid. When we're afraid, we're told that our mind goes into survival mode. And when we go into survival mode, our minds automatically go to four responses. And that's either, and you've probably heard this, fight, flight, fright, or freeze. So understandably, Elijah, he was afraid and he ran. He ran, he was running for his life. So that was understandable. Um, and I think that this, that's a similar thing that we can do when we're in similar situations where we feel threatened or where we feel afraid and we feel like, I just can't handle this situation. I think that's an automatic thing that we may want to do is run. Um, so I think that that just makes Elijah really relatable and he's human. Um, secondly, Elijah felt outnumbered. In chapter 18, verse 22, it says there at the end, I'll just read the, the second part of the verse. It says, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So we read the statistics. Again, people claiming to be Christians is on the decline. It may seem like we have an impossible task and the work is too great for us. Um, thirdly, Elijah was brokenhearted. So in chapter 19, verse 10 and 14, it reads, um, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. Like God would be, Elijah was broken for the sin of his people. Um, fourthly, Elijah felt alone. It says there, he repeated it multiple times, I don't know if you noticed, but he says, I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So Elijah felt alone, and I know what it's like, especially um, when we're 
ministering or there are times I think that each of us um, even if we aren't ministering but we can just feel alone and we feel like there's no one that we can really turn to um, I know that even within the the mental health area especially after COVID there's been an increase in that and there is months and months wait just to, to access the kind of health care that and support that Australians need in regards to their mental health. Um, so people are feeling alone and we don't know who's feeling alone and I don't know who in this room is feeling alone, but we at times can feel alone no matter what circumstance or situation that we're in. Um, number five, um, Elijah was discouraged. So we know he must have run for at least a day's journey because um, that's what the Bible says and exhausted we find Elijah mentally, emotionally, spiritually and physically exhausted. Just remember, he had been running away. I didn't mention it earlier, but he had actually um, hidden and had, uh, he was hidden for a while um, from Ahab because Jezebel was after all the prophets. So he hid at the brook. Um, God sustained him through a widow. Um, and then I think there was another one, but I forgot the third one. But anyway, he, he was on a long journey and a long journey really where he was by himself and he was ministering and serving God on his own without someone on that journey with him, I suppose, where he felt like he wasn't. And um, he had just had that great victory at Mount Carmel um, against the prophets of, of Baal. And then he also had to fight. He slew them. Um, so he was exhausted. He was physically exhausted. And that led to his discouragement. And I think that we can get that way at times where we can get tired um, of fighting or perhaps like Elijah, he avoided certain people like Jezebel and her people. Um, so perhaps you feel like you're trying to avoid certain people as well or you've just been stressed out for so long like Elijah did. He was pretty stressed out for quite a while. We don't know how long he had been um, going through this but perhaps you've been stressed out for a long time um, so in verse 4, we read that he ran to the wilderness and in verse 9, he withdrew into a cave. So often when we're going through a season of discouragement or perhaps depression, we retreat and withdraw. So we can do this at times and perhaps um, your cave isn't a literal cave, but perhaps your cave can be your room or it can be your work, it can be... You can fill in the blanks, or it can be sometimes your phone. Um, that could be your cave, you know, where you're craving human connection, but you're actually withdrawing from real human connection. Um, you withdraw from family, you withdraw from friends, or from things that you usually enjoy. So perhaps you're not even aware of this, and, and I hope that this might highlight some things for you, perhaps, that you know, you may have not realized you've been going through a season of discouragement and haven't been able to pinpoint it. And those are one of the signs that we can learn from, um, from Elijah. So how did God help Elijah and how can he help us heal? So the first thing that I learned here is that just from my own experience with the ACL is you need a good doctor. Um, yeah, especially with surgery and everything and major surgery. Um, and we know the stories. We know lots of stories in the New Testament where Jesus demonstrated that he, he could heal people. He healed the blind. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. 
Um, he healed those who were hurting, um, even those that had demon possession. Um, so when I found out I needed surgery, we did our research. Um, but fortunately, the Hebelies were able to point us to the right direction because their son had also ruptured his ACL in a basketball game. Um, and so we were able to find a good surgeon who had a good reputation and was known and that was his thing. So you need a good doctor. Um, number two, healing is a process. And here's what we can learn from Elijah. I've got some things listed out here. Um, God knew what Elijah needed and he didn't rebuke him or tell him to just get over it. Sometimes I think that's what we can do when people are hurting and I think they call it toxic positivity where sometimes you're just like, oh, you know, like you just got to push through it and, you know, just like it's just and sometimes that's not what the person needs at the time. So I just think that we can have a look at how God um, responded to Elijah and hopefully like if you're going through it or you know someone who's going through it, then I think we can take some notes here from God on how to help someone who's going through a real period of discouragement. And the first thing is Elijah needed a touch. Um, in science, we call this co-regulating. Um, for teachers out there, and um, you probably know this word, or for parents and mothers, um, when children cry, um, I think of co-regulating this way, when children cry, often the natural instinct and um, what the child needs first is a comforting touch, and they need that calmness from the parent or the person who's offering them that comfort or that, that touch. And that's what we call co-regulating. And, and we see here that in verse 5, the angel touched him. And that was the first thing he did. Um, and I think that really demonstrates for us that sometimes people, you know, you can really show someone you care just by that touch um, and that it'll be okay and we don't have to say anything. And that can communicate a lot of how we can minister to people. Um, number two, God fed him. So when we're in need of healing, it's important to keep nourished to, to sustain us. Um, we see there in the verses, um, after the angel touched him, in verse five, it says, um, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. So then the next, which leads to my next point, God let him rest. Um, I know that coming from Sydney, hit, and, and for those of you who are from Sydney, it's just like this really like go, go, go culture. But I feel like that's an increasingly, um, that's an increasing virtue almost nowadays where people are just burning out especially with more opportunities to work from home perhaps and you're not going to the office i find in conversations that people are finding they're actually working more from home than they were when they were going to the office because sometimes we don't put those boundaries in place or we just say like oh just you know i just need to do this or just do that or whatever and if we don't stay on top of those things sometimes um we don't realize that we can slide into burnout. Um, and I think that is a contributing factor to, to our current state um, and even in terms of our well-being. Um, and so rest is really impo important. And don't feel guilty when you need to rest. Because sometimes I hear that, especially from moms. There's, they call this, oh, sorry, can you please turn that off? That's my alarm. <laughs> 
um, there's this there's this thing that they call mum guilt, and so sometimes, you know, you, you just feel guilty if you just want to take. Yeah, I'll be really honest. Sometimes I hide in the bathroom for half an hour just so I can get <laughs> moments of alone time and where I don't have kids just like climbing on me. And then sometimes I get really upset when you hear that knock and you're just like, can I just have five minutes? Like I'm in the bathroom, it's like my sacred time or something. Just give me some alone time. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, a real <laughs> it's a real thing. So you could be a mom and you could feel those senses of guilt, you know, of um, not always being there for your child, but we know that we can't. And it's so easy to burn out, even as a mum, no matter what stage of life you're in. Um, number four, God spoke to Elijah gently in a still, small voice. In verse 12, it says at the end of the passage there, it says, and after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And isn't that interesting how we think that um, sometimes, you know, like when you do personal training <laughs> or you've gone to like a group exercise class and you're feeling like pretty unmotivated and you've got that personal trainer like yelling at you going like keep going just like five more sets and and then you're like you said that five sets ago you know but it's um it's the opposite when someone's feeling really discouraged sometimes that's not what they need and what they need is that that gentle that gentleness that the way that God speaks to us and that is through a still small voice and that's actually what drew Elijah out of the cave and that's what got his attention. Um, so I think that um, that's something that we can really learn from the Lord there um, in terms of how to help someone through their process of healing. It, it, it takes a lot of gentleness. Um, hey, number five, God gave Elijah time to heal. So we read through that chapter that passage that Elijah was in the wilderness and Mount Horeb for a little over 40 days and 40 nights. So depending on the injury or trauma, um, it can take less time or it can take more time to heal. It really just depends on the person or the situation or the level of injury. Um, rupturing my ACL um, was a big deal and it required major surgery. So it's been nearly eight months since I injured myself and around six months since I had the surgery and I still have more healing to go. Like right now I'm at the stage with my physio where I've got to strengthen those muscles and then after that it's learning how to run and jump and all those things again which I wasn't too keen on in the first place but you know. <laughs> but if I want to be fully functioning again I'm going to need to have a, I'm going to need to get strong enough to be able to do those things but it starts off with baby steps like I wasn't for some of you from our church that know you saw Irene and I we were we were in wheelchairs for a couple of weeks like that was pretty dangerous stuff but we had to go through some pretty major like healing to be able to even get to this stage it just started with steps like I was limping and then I had to learn how to unlimp you know and I had to like with the physio, I had to retrain my brain. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, that it was a long process, um, which actually leads to my third point. Um, healing, uh, 
Yeah. So I must strengthen the muscles and learn how to do those things again if I want fully functioning knee. Um, so the road to recovery has been long and at times it can also be painful. So going to, I won't go ahead of myself, but in Psalms 147 verse 3, I'll just read it for you for the sake of time. It says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. So wounds are painful. Um, but if you've ever had surgery, maybe you've had a C-section or have ever been cut open, I'm sure everyone's had a cut at some point. Um, the the pro healing process can be painful. Um, and what I learned from my surgeon and my physio was that there's a difference between bad pain and good pain. Um, so after I saw the surgeon, um, he warned me that when I go through physio, um, there was going to be a lot of pain and there was, especially when I, that physio was like really working out my leg. I wanted to cry. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I wanted to cry. But um, I got through it because it helped knowing that this was good pain. And I think sometimes that's really important when we're going through the healing process. Sometimes, especially in our culture, we at all costs try to avoid pain. But sometimes we have to understand that we need to be able to discern between what's bad pain and what's good pain. And that sometimes what's good pain is, pain is essential for our healing. And I just wanted to highlight this verse for us because God, he doesn't intentionally want to hurt us um, in order for us to heal. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, he saith the Lord, so thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So God's purpose for us is, is peace. He doesn't want us to go through those things, but sometimes pain is part of and is essential um, to the healing process. And then I wanted to give us some hope. Number four, um, what I learned is that we're designed to heal, um, especially coming through um, my ACL um, and the surgery. Um, part of what they had to actually do was they had to... So obviously I had broken it, <laughs> so where am I going to get that from? They had to graft part of my hamstring and then they screwed it onto my, my knees. And so part of the healing process was actually to give my body time to fuse with my new ligament, to fuse with that new cruciate. And I think it's just amazing how in a physical sense, yes, we can also heal, but what I also learned, I mentioned that I did a counseling course um, beginning of last year. I also learned something really beautiful, and it's called, um, now I'm forgetting it, the neuroplasticity. It's called neuroplasticity and how our brain is also designed to heal. That people, when they've gone through trauma with some professional help and with you know, doing the things that they need to do in order to heal, we can we can heal from those things. We can heal from trauma. We can heal from injuries. God designed our bodies to be resilient. He designed our brains to be resilient. And that even though at times it feels like we're never going to be able to pull out of this, we are designed to heal. Um, and so with that, um, what I learning about the body and how that fuses together, it also highlighted for me that it takes a community to heal. So an example there is, this is an example of compacting. So the Bible says that when we're part of the church, we are part of the body and we're to bear one another's burdens. So God created us 
and he designed us for relationships. So we need each other. We're supposed to comfort, love, and exhort one another in Christ. Um, Number six, depending on the type of healing, it may take new thought patterns. And so in chapter 18, verse 22, um, I didn't read that, but I'll read that for you. It says, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And then in chapter 19, verse 10 and 14, he repeats the same kind of wording. I've, I've read it before, and I think you probably noticed it as well. And he said he was the only one left. I, even I only, am left. And sometimes we're going to have to change the way that we think. We're going to have to reframe some of the things, that the way that we see things and the way that we perceive things. Um, and God gave him that. God, in his still small voice, in verse 18, just wanted to point out to, to Elijah that he wasn't alone and that he actually pointed out that I've left me 7,000 in Israel that haven't bowed to Baal. You know, so we see that repeated thought pattern and maybe you're not aware of it, but we do have thought patterns that keep us down. And God just brought it out and highlighted for for Elijah that you're not alone and that there are others that are serving me and haven't bowed down to Baal. Um, so I think that in Romans 12 too, this is what I learned, um, especially knowing what I learned about neuroplasticity and how in part of that healing process, we actually, the brain gets rewired and we develop new thought patterns. That's a, that's a daily and a conscious thing that we've got to do but I thought this was, was really beautiful that it highlights that and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God I always knew yes like soul wise and all of that but when I learned about neuroplasticity I was like oh wait hey that's literal God is literally changing me day by day as I get into his word he is healing me on that literal brain level and even just obviously like emotionally physically mentally all those sorts of things and so lastly um philippians 4 8 finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of good report if there be any virtue and if there be any praise think on these things um, sorry, I said I know I said lastly, but this is the last one, I promise. Um, we can't heal ourselves, so we must go to the one who can. God heals us by grace. So if we can please turn back to Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. So I'll read that verse again. It says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. Come, it's an invitation. Um, Luke 19.10, it also says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, the biblical definition of save here actually means to heal. And lost here doesn't mean you've lost your keys, but it means broken. So God came to heal that was those things that was broken. And we, we all know that we've been broken or feel brokenness at some point. So I just wanted to encourage us to turn to God, who is the great physician. And then I just wanted to invite us as well, if we're not saved, or if we're perhaps backslidden in heart, to seek healing from the Lord from our sins. And when Hosea's wife left him 
to become a slave to another man. Um, he graciously bought her back and accepted her because of his love for her. I don't know if anyone's ever been in this situation where you've had an unfaithful spouse and then yet alone. So she had enslaved herself to another man. And so then she had to be bought back. Hosea paid for her. He bought her back um, because he still loved her. And I think likewise, um, this is a picture of God's love for us. He is gracious and he loves us. And as sinners or backslidden in heart, the Lord is more than willing to heal us, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. So if you're hurting or, some, or know someone who is, I want to encourage you to turn to him um, because he's more than willing. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this time that we've had to come together as ladies and to learn from your word about healing. Um, dear God, I pray that if there's anyone here who is in need of that or anyone that we know that comes to mind that is going through some things, I pray, dear God, that um, may these words just minister to us, may it be something that we'll remember and may it be something that we can share and just... Um, feel encouraged as well, knowing that, dear God, you've designed us to heal and that you're the great physician and that nothing that's ever broken that you can't fix. So we want to commit all these things to you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.